I like to bribe my children. Okay. And those sticker, even though they do appreciate a good sticker, I mean, you're never too old for a sticker. I will buy like the bulk water bottle stickers on Amazon. Oh, nice. And then I've got, I've got like a little chart in my closet that like, all right, you can go pull from the sticker chart. Cool. If there be, if somebody's being extra awesome, I'll be like, go get a sticker from the sticker chart. And I just like always have 25 stickers available that they can pick from. Nice. Man, it is wild how much one of those stickers, like, and it's like 500 stickers for like $8. Yeah. So so it's it's like nothing. And every year I just keep buying more and more stickers. So when I leave teaching, I'm going to have a fart ton of stickers left over. Oh my gosh, you'll be fine. Yeah, it's going to be great. We can use them for uh, fan giveaways. There you go. Yeah. Hey, do you guys want like a manatee sticker? I've got five million. Oh my God. A manatee oh, yeah. sticker. We can just rebrand them and put our logo on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> manatee is for true crime. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Welcome to the True Crime ABCs podcast. I'm Danny. And I'm Sarah. Take a journey with us through our alphabet of true crime, one letter at a time. Listen through the end of each episode for reading recommendations and a sneak peek into what's going on in the podcast next week. This episode is supported by the letter K. K is for kidnapping this week. Mm -hmm. Yay, love a good kidnapping. Well, you know. (laughs) Not even a little. Not even a little bit. All right. So in the realm of kidnapping statistics, I sort of just amassed a list of things that I pulled from random places. It's wonderful. Thank you. It's going to be great. (laughs) So the National Crime Information Center reported 359,094 missing children in the U.S. in 2022 alone. Hmm. And that is actually up about 6.5% from 2021. Wow. And I think that's total missing children, like unsolved cases of missing children. I don't think it's like 350,000 children went missing last year, just last year. Just total cases. Yeah. Got it. The National Missing and Unidentified Persons System reported that 99% of juvenile kidnapping cases were found alive. So that is fantastic. We love that for them. Out of 555 U.S. missing persons reports in January 2023, 99% of kidnapped juveniles survived and were alive. Um, In the case of the adults, 22% of those cases were found deceased. So not so great there. Um, No. So don't go missing as an adult, guys. The stats aren't good. Um, According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, stranger abductions make up less than 1% of missing child cases. So in 2022, stranger abductions comprised of about 0.35% of missing child cases. Okay. So even less than half a percent. Um, most missing children were runaways, about 92% of them. And one in six were likely victims of child sex trafficking. Hmm. Oh. Remind me to talk about the runaway thing when we get to my story. Okay. So it'd be very interesting. Interesting fact. Mm. From the World Population Review, Turkey actually has the highest kidnapping rate worldwide at 42.669 per 100,000, which is, seems very high. Yeah. So, No thanks. Don't go to Turkey, guys. I mean, well, maybe. Maybe. It's probably beautiful, but 
Yeah. Don't get kidnapped there. (laughs) Be vigilant. (laughs) Yeah. Eight million children worldwide are either forcibly taken or illegally transported each year. Eight million. That's a lot. That's a a lot of millions. That's a ton. Actually, a ton is 2,000, Danielle. Okay, so it's several tons. Don't be a jerk. (laughs) It's many tons. (laughs) Oh my God! Did you hear? Did Penny just bark? She did. I heard like her. But you, what a dick! Meh. She's cute though. She is really cute. It's <laughs> a good thing too, because she'd have been she'd have gotten the boot if she weren't. Yep. yep, yep. I think my story's really long today. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm just looking now. I'm at five pages. Good lord, girl. Single space. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. I will say I, I like it's a story that I knew. Hmm. But never really dove this deep into it. And so once I started, there was no stopping. Mm-hmm. And Don't I was stop. like, well, I can't leave that part out. <laughs> I'm having such a good time. Mm-hmm. I'm having a ball. Oh, God. People, they nobody needs to hear this. That song always makes me think of Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Yes. As it should. As it should. Yeah. And it's oh, so good. Yeah. The Winchester. Sorry. That's a that's an oldie <laughs> but a goodie. <laughs> oh man, the Winchester. Oh, Fun fact. Boy. Our neighborhood small town bar, which we will not name, but growing up, uh, we called the Winchester because it's where we always ended up. Despite yep. our best efforts, we always ended up there. <laughs> On June 10th, 1991, Terry Probin, a mother in Lake Tahoe, California, uh, left for work a little bit earlier than usual. Her husband, Carl, was home with their two daughters, a one-year-old named Shayna and an 11-year-old daughter named J.C. J.C. got ready for school that morning kind of on her own. She put on her favorite all-pink outfit, and she began the walk up the hill from her house against traffic because that's how her mother had told her to walk to the bus stop so that she could get on the school bus. About halfway up the hill, a gray car approached her, and she thought that maybe the man driving was just stopping to ask for directions. He was pretty unremarkable, middle-aged, and he rolled down the window from the driver's side of the car. Mm -hmm. And that's when J.C. felt a sharp pain, followed by nothing, just blank. She was completely disconnected from her body. Mm. So J.C. had been hit with a stun gun. A female passenger then dragged J.C. into the car and removed the girl's clothing. J.C. somehow managed to keep only a butterfly-shaped ring that she would hide from her captors for the entire length of her imprisonment. The woman covered J.C. with a blanket and pinned her down with her feet as J.C. kind of drifted in and out of consciousness during the three-hour drive from Lake Tahoe to Antioch, California, about 120 miles away. The only time J.C. spoke during the three-hour drive was to beg her captors to let her go that her parents would not be able to afford a ransom. Oh, gosh. Ugh, which makes me sad. <sighs> Meanwhile, back at J.C.'s house, her stepdad, Carl, had heard and witnessed the entire thing. He had seen it from the driveway of their house. He saw two people in a mid-sized gray car make a U-turn at the bus stop. He saw the woman force J.C. into the car. And J.C.'s stepfather quickly patted his pockets to see if he had his car keys, which he didn't. So he grabbed the next best thing. He hopped on his bike and chased the car down as quickly as he could. Unfortunately, he was never able to catch up with the, with the vehicle. After 
losing sight of the car, Carl ran to a na- or rode to a neighbor's house and called 911. There were a number of other witnesses to JC's kidnapping, most notably the entire bus stop full of children. Oh, Can you imagine how much that would mess you up? No, that's... Oh, my God. It, like, <sighs> oh, it just gave me chills. And it was 91, too, so it was, like, pre-all the yeah. stranger danger, like, mm-hmm. having a cop come into class in third grade and, you know, teach you what to do and what not to do, all that stuff. So, J.C.'s captors were Phil or Philip and Nancy Garrido. The couple actually met while Nancy had been visiting her father, in jail. We love a we love a classic jail dating story. <laughs> oh, love a good jail time romance. Oh gosh. Her father's cellmate was none other than Philip Garrido. Um the couple actually dated for a short time ta- a short time while she visited him in jail and were married at the prison. <laughs> classic. Oh, can you Oh, no thanks. So <laughs> was it a catered event? Uh, listen, I hope so bologna sandwiches <laughs> and like some Whatever, like Twinkie cake concoctions, you know. Do you ever watch like the Tic Tac oh, jail, jail recipes? Yes, I have seen some oh of that. Oh my god, yeah, the... wild and also <laughs> gross. I, I mean, good for them for being creative, but yeah, it's not for me. Oh, so Philip had a pretty colorful criminal history. Um, okay, he was born on April fifth, nineteen fifty one, which is the same year old Papalotti was born, um, mm-hmm. and his early life was pretty unremarkable. However, I did feel it needed to be noted that he had suffered a significant head injury at some point in his younger years, mm. which we all know is a common factor in people with a criminal history as extensive as Garrido's. Mm. All right, not saying that anybody who has head trauma is a serial rapist or a serial killer or anything, but no. a lot of them have, you know, the big three, murdered animals, arson, head trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, Garrido had a pretty heavy substance abuse issue basically his whole life. Hmm. So in 1972, when Garrido was 21, he was arrested for drugging and raping a 14-year-old girl, but charges were dropped when the victim refused to testify because she was 14 and probably scarred for life. Right. In 1975, Garrido abducted a 25-year-old woman in South Lake Tahoe at Knife Point. Hmm. Um, He took her to a warehouse where he sexually assaulted her. From that assault, he was convicted and sentenced to 50 years in federal prison for kidnapping and another five years to life on state charges of sexual assault. So 61 years in prison, you're like, oh, sweet, good job, way to go, justice system. However, he served only 11 years of that sentence and earned his parole in 1988 For good behavior. Oh, we love a good behavior. Oh, God. We love a good prisoner. This is the second one, I think. Uh, In a row, yeah. Drives me nuts. In this season. Um, It really... That was let out on good behavior. It pisses me off mostly because, like, of course you have good behavior. You don't have any friggin' women to sexually assault. You're in prison. (laughs) Ugh. It's like, again, (sighs) ooh, man, gets me real fired up. So, over the years, Garrido's parole status kept changing because he had both federal parole and state parole. Um, Sometimes he was under stricter supervision due to various violations. Sometimes he had to register as a sex offender. 
And even though okay. there were concerns about his behavior because he violated parole like every other day, he still remained free because why not? Right? What's, he's only a rapist. What big, you know, whatever. <laughs> so there were multiple times when the system just fully failed. Um, had the California correction system and parole officers actually monitored Garrido more closely and, you know, like done their job, um, J.C. Lee Dugard would never have been abducted. Ab- oh, God, mm. abducted. Like, it just mm. wouldn't have happened if somebody had done their job sooner. Wild. So, captivity for JC. Um, after kidnapping JC, why can't I talk? Oh my God. <laughs> after kidnapping JC, the Garritos took her back to their home in Antioch, California. Um, they then took JC from the car. Her head was still covered with a blanket behind their house where they had constructed the most janky ass tent and shed situation of all time. Um, it was all. For the entirety of her captivity, run off of extension cords, which is great. Um, Garrido placed Dugard, or JC, inside a tiny shed that had been soundproofed. JC later stated in her memoir and in an interview with ABC News that when she arrived, Garrido handcuffed her and left her naked in the shed, which he bolted shut, and warned her that trained Domermans would attack her if she tried to escape the shed. Following the abduction, Garrido forced J.C. into a shower with him, Gross. which was the first time she ever saw a naked man, which, because you're 11, baby girl, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't have to deal with that noise. God. During her first week in captivity, J.C. remained in handcuffs, her only human contact being with Philip Garrido, who would bring her fast food and sit and talk to her sometimes. He gave her a whole bucket for which she could relieve herself. And a week after the kidnapping, Garrido raped the still handcuffed J.C. for the first time. He continued to sexually assault her frequently, at least once a week, for the first three years. At one point, Garrido gave J.C. a television, which she was only allowed to watch QVC on. She wasn't allowed to watch the news because he didn't want her to know that her family was looking for her. Mm-hmm. Which is, oh. Poor baby. Yeah. And I know she's not a baby anymore, but she's 11 right now. And, like, uh, like that's the age of my students. I can't imagine. Oh, I can't imagine. It, like, ooh, ooh, it, like, makes Mona cry. So a month after J.C.'s capture, Garrido moved her to a larger room next door to her previous shed where she was still handcuffed to the bed. He explained that the demon angels let him take her. And that she would help him with his sexual problems because society refused to. Goodness. goodness. I mean, wild. (laughs) Garrido would occasionally go on days-long meth binges that he called runs. And that was usually when he was worse to J.C., the worst to J.C., um, as far as sexual assault goes. He would also make her listen to, quote-unquote, the voices he said he could hear from the walls. And he told her that he was a chosen servant of God. Sounds like you need to find somebody to talk right. to. Or like... About some of these issues. Or maybe just be back in prison where you can't abduct yeah, I mean, baby, sweet best, baby angels. But, oh my gosh. So the binges, at the end of his little meth binges, they would end with Garrido basically losing his shit sobbing. He'd apologize to JC. But then he'd alternate... No. 
Alternate that with threats to sell her to people who would put her in a cage. Of course. Oh, he's gross. Seven months into her captivity, Garrido officially introduced JC to his wife, Nancy. Nancy brought JC a stuffed animal and chocolate milk and apologized to JC profusely, just over and over. And initially, JC really wanted Nancy's approval. But later, JC had said in later interviews that Nancy was just as manipulative as her husband was. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So JC described Nancy as Ew. flicking between warm motherly concern and then cold cruelty. Yeah, they're both so serious. Oh, yeah. So basically, <laughs> like... Nancy was super jealous of JC well. because obviously her husband was going out to sexually assault this poor sweet baby instead of being with his wife. Um, and JC would later characterize Nancy, who worked as a nursing homemaid, as evil and twisted, which makes me wonder how she treated yeah. her patients. Oh, I'm sure. Listen, you, we can, we can talk about bad nurses mm-hmm. at some mm. point in the, in the, in oh, the series. definitely. In the series, Listen, but, um, N is coming. I know. So, uh, yeah, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode. Yeah, it really truly is. <laughs> about, Yeah. Um, when Garrido was returned to prison for a month after failing a drug test, Nancy replaced her husband as JC's jailer. Never let her go. Just left her locked up. Some reports from the neighbors say that they actually remembered seeing JC. Okay. But nobody but did I, nobody did anything. Or nobody about looked that? into it. I think the police did actually come at one point. But didn't bother to go in the backyard where people saw a child at the freaking rapist house. Right. It is wild to me. To avoid any further issues, Garrido built an eight-foot-tall privacy fence to keep anybody from seeing JC. That's not suspicious. At right. All. So the Garridos would bring JC kittens, which she would like love what? and nurture, and like they'd try and buy her affection, and she loved these kittens. She was so good to these kittens. And then they would just, the cats would just vanish. Um, I wonder why. Which was, I'm sure, just another level of manipulation. Like, look what we can take away. Mm-hmm. Uh, JC also kept a journal, which each day she would sign with her name, JC, which Philip later made her tear her name, just her name off of every page. Made it too personal. Yeah, I guess. Well, and if anybody found it, there's yeah, her name. I don't know. That's... It's weird. So, almost three years into her captivity, the Garritos allowed JC some freedom from her handcuffs for short periods, though they still kept her locked in a bolted room. On Easter Sunday of 1994, Philip and Nancy gave JC cooked food for the first time in those three years. She'd only been eating processed and fast food for friggin' three years. The couple told JC that she was pregnant. And that is how JC learned the connection between sex and pregnancy. What? Although I hesitate to call this sex because it's rape. Yeah, that's not even. Yeah. Uh, no. What? Because so I'm assuming they had been giving her pregnancy tests? I, maybe. Or maybe they had her just like pee in the bucket and they just like stuck a pregnancy test in oh, there or something. Maybe, I don't know. I guess. But, Weird. you know, she was 11 and it was the early 90s. So they weren't doing sex ed in fifth grade right. at that point. You know, they weren't, they would have, they would have like the, here's your body, but like, yeah, you know, but 
I don't know. Well, now, hey, Florida's taking all that away again. Ugh. And that's another episode. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to say I, we had, yeah, it was like fifth, fifth, fourth and fifth grade. Fifth I think. grade, fifth I grade. think we had. The My Body Yeah, the talk. Changing Body, Everybody Got a Pad <laughs> and a Deodorant. Yep. That one. Boys and Girls Went in Separate Rooms. Um, yep. And then sixth grade, I took health class, which was like a full semester. Yeah. Which explained all and of that. And that was like reproductive yeah. health and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So JC was pregnant. And of course, because the couple wasn't going to allow JC to give birth in a hospital where it would be safe for her. <laughs> right. The Garritos had her watch television programs about childbirth to prepare her, which I'm sure wasn't terrifying at all. That's terrible. Like, what? Yeah. Philip Garrido also claimed he was reading a bunch of books on how to deliver home births. Hmm. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. On, Definitely sounds yeah, good. Yeah, not a fan. On August 18th, 1994, Chasey's daughter Angel was born with some complications. It was not an easy birth. Um, I think like the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck. Mm. It was, and like Philip had to reach up and untangle the cord. Like it was really, it should, it should have been, honestly, it shouldn't have been a pregnancy at all, but it should have been done in a hospital. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's just. <sighs> so after Angel was born, Garrido would actually go to JC less frequently, unless again, he was on one of his meth runs. Mm. Um, but he would sexually assault her less. The last time Garrido would sexually assault JC was the day her second daughter was conceived. Starlet was born on November 13th, 1997, when JC was 17 years old. JC was a really devoted mom and took care of her daughters using information learned from her first 11 years of life and anything she could from TV. And she did everything she could to protect her girls from Garrido. Yeah. Gosh. And Garrido would later say that the, the girls actually cured him, like being a dad cured him, but... Uh, Bullshit. I call bullshit. Gross. So JC coped with her continued captivity by gardening and homeschooling her kids. Eventually, in an effort to placate Nancy, Garrido told JC and the girls that they were going to start calling Nancy mom. Oh, God. Hell to the no. Oh, my God. So JC put her foot down. She absolutely refused to call Nancy her mother. But when JC and her daughters were later allowed to come into contact with other people, that was the story they used. And the girls were told that JC was their sister. Oh, I hate it. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't love any no. of this. So Philip Garrido owned a print shop where JC was actually a, the graphic artist. Like, she was the one who made stuff, and she was really good. Um, mm -hmm. JC was well-liked by their customers. They noted how professional she was and how excellent her work was. I, I didn't put this in my notes, but I remember seeing one of the things say that, like, one of the clients had jokingly said to Garrido once... So Greedo was able to turn over this guy's order in like a day, and it was huge. Mm -hmm. And the guy jokingly was like, what do you have, slaves working for you? Which like, <laughs> that joke didn't age well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, JC was really well liked by the customers. And at no point did JC ever hint at her actual identity to any of the customers. Right, and I, I remember. Why would you not? Why would you I not? I know. I. But where were the? Where were the? Where were her daughters? That's the thing. So and, a lot of people were like, "Well, why didn't you ever say anything to her?" And she was like, "Well, 
she had two little girls to protect. Garrido was freaking nuts. And quite yeah. frankly, if like we know this is the 90s, like women were hysterical. Women made things up. Mm-hmm. Even now, that's still an issue. So, I mean, who's to say they wouldn't believe her? And then JC put herself in this awful situation where mm-hmm. Garrido was now, you know, potentially going to take it out on her and her kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So around this time, Garrido just fully jumped right into the deep end of his crazy stuff. Um, he had a recording studio in their hidden backyard. Oh, my gosh. Where he would record himself singing religious and romantic country songs. Can we, do those recordings Oh, exist? they exist. Can we maybe do a, you, can we? Yeah, you, here, let me. Philip Garrido, live at Leavenworth Prison, 1981. He's really bad. Okay, I'll, I'll put the link in the, in the show thing. It's okay. really bad, though. He's, <laughs> he is not a talented human. In August 2009, Philip Garrido took his, his and JC's daughters, gross, mm-hmm. to the UC Berkeley campus. Um, and he was actually there to distribute religious literature. Of course. And kind of share his cuckoo bananas <laughs> beliefs. He had also gone with the intention of requesting permission to hold a campus event, I assume, again, to share his mm. nuts ideas. But he had no affiliation with the university. He just, like, went there to ask if he could share stuff, uh, which makes me think of uh, all my Central Michigan University alumni <laughs> of the late the early late two thousand like two thousand five mm-hmm. to two thousand twelve, um, we had what was named preacher Rick or whatever in the middle oh, of gosh. campus who'd like tell us we were all sinners and we were going to hell. It was great. So fire up chips. Um, <laughs> like that but was, we're still hitting I, O'Kellys on Friday. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, we're we'll see you at O'Kells. Freaking way ho. So <laughs> he went to request. To hold an event, obviously the event coordinator coordinator was like, nope, because he was acting acting absolutely nuts. Right. Um, she was nicer and described his behavior as erratic. Okay. And because he was acting so strangely, Andy had these two young girls with him. Campbell had university police do a background check on him, hmm. which paid off because the campus police officer Allie Jacobs then discovered that Greedo was a registered sex offender with a history of kidnapping and sexual assault. Yeah, that's a pretty good hit on that background check. Yeah. <laughs> so all the various parole violations that Greedo had were basis for an arrest. So Jacobs then called the parole officer to relay her concerns and ended up just leaving a report on voicemail. Okay. After hearing that recorded messages, or after hearing um, the recorded message from the campus police officer, two parole agents drove to the Garrido's house later that day. And when they arrived, they handcuffed Garrido and searched the house, but they only found his wife, Nancy, and his elderly mother, who had been living there the whole time, like since JC had been kidnapped. But she was, like, I think very old and, and kind of sickly and maybe kind of senile or dementia. Okay. So she didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. Um, the parole agents drove him to the parole office. And then en route, Garrido said that the girls who had been with him at the college were daughters of a relative. Uh. And that he'd had permission from their, from their parents to take them there. So, bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No. Although the parole office had previously barred Greedo from association with any minors, plus Berkeley was 40 miles from the Greedo's mm-hmm. Contra Costa residence, which he's only supposed to go 25 miles from his house right. for his, you know, parole stuff. Like, nothing was done about those violations. Yeah. Right? After they reviewed his file, they drove him home and ordered him to report to the office again the next day because they, like, wanted to talk about their concerns about the girls. <sighs> So finally, August 26th, 2009, Garrido did show up the next day. He arrived at the parole office in Concord, California with his wife, the two girls, and JC, who he had told her to pick a name at some point, and she decided Alyssa. I've heard some places that she loved Alyssa Milano. Mm-hmm. I heard other places that she just liked the name Alyssa. Um it's, you know, one of those things. Yep. So she showed up and introduced herself as Alyssa. Um, the parole officer got skeevy vibes and separated Greedo from the women and the girls to obtain everybody's identification. Nice. So maintaining that false identity as Alyssa, JC told investigators that the girls were her daughters. And mm. although she indicated that she was aware that Garrido was a convicted sex offender, she stated that he was a changed man, he was a great person, he was great with her kids, um, and those comments were echoed by the two girls. When pressed for more details to confirm her identity, JC became extremely defensive and agitated mm. and demanded to know why she was being interrogated. Of course. And eventually, they had had this story in their pocket, the Garritos and JC, that mm-hmm. She was a battered wife from Minnesota, and she was hiding from her abusive husband. Oh, gosh. So the parole officer eventually called the Concord police, and upon arrival of Concord Police Sergeant, mm-hmm. Garrido started talking. He just spilled everything. Uh, okay. <laughs> so he admitted that he had kidnapped and raped JC. Jeez. And only after she was told that he had said he had you know, started spilling everything, did J.C. finally say her name was J.C. Lee Dugard? Oh, my gosh. Um, There's a whole bunch of stuff saying that, like, J.C. showed signs of Stockholm Syndrome and she loved her captor. Hmm. But I, so I have actually read a couple of more recent studies that are kind of showing that Stockholm Syndrome's bullshit, but, um, yeah. In 2016, in an interview with ABC News... Dugard stated that her compassion and willingness to interact with the Garritos were her means of survival. Hmm. Um, She was quoted saying, the phrase Stockholm Syndrome implies that hostages cracked by terror and abuse become affectionate towards their captors. Well, it's really, it's degrading, you know, having my family believe that I was in love with this captor Mm -hmm. and wanted to stay with him. Right. I mean, that's so far from the truth that it makes me want to throw up. I adapted to survive my circumstance, mm-hmm. which, uh, you go girl. Like that is, what else can you do? And she had two babies that she was taking care of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so she's repeatedly stated since her rescue that sometimes you have to sympathize with your captor and it's mm-hmm. a defense mechanism and it's the reason she survived almost two decades. Gosh. So good for her. Read, good on her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. She did it. And she, Brought two babies into the world mm-hmm. and, you know, got wow. home, which is crazy. Wow. 
So Garrido and his wife, Nancy, were immediately placed under arrest. And JC was asked who she wanted to call, and they called her mom, Oh, which, like, makes me want to cry. Um, on August 27th, the next day, JC was reunited with her mom, and her daughters finally met their grandma. Huh. Oh, it's really cute. In June of 2011, Philip Garrido was sentenced to 431 years to life imprisonment, and Nancy was sentenced to 36 years to life. Nancy will be eligible for parole in August 2029. Wow. Um, so life after captivity. And um, my book rec for this week is actually JC's first book. It was mm-hmm. a memoir of her captivity. But um, she does have a second book as well that's like life after. Nice. Um, so this is an ode to the life after captivity. Um, obviously, it was very challenging and a long, dark, emotional journey that JC had to go down. Right. Um, she had to reintegrate with society. She had to learn how to be a t- now a 29-year-old woman Gosh. with access to the world. Um, and she had to rebuild her life and honestly reconnect with her family. It had been mm-hmm. 18 years. Mm-hmm. Her, her little sister was one when she went missing. So, Gosh. like, you know, it just, oh, it's crazy. So JC and her daughters, who had known nothing but captivity, obviously required pretty extensive therapy. And they mm-hmm. did a really cool kind of experimental therapy that required like emotional connection with horses. It was like a horse-based therapy, okay. which is friggin' sweet. Um Yeah. And since then, JC has become a huge av- advocate for victims of abduction and abuse. She wrote her memoir, again, which we'll talk about in book recs. And started a foundation called the JC Web Foundation. Um, And I stole this from the JC website. The foundation's (laughs) message is just ask yourself to care. Uh, J-A-Y-C, JC. Our mission is to be of service to families and and individuals that have experienced a severe crisis, challenge, or conflict through a major life disruption. To spread the message of hope, growth, and resiliency through educational and animal-assisted programs. To encourage the collaboration of various entities to provide protected spaces for families to heal. Which is lovely. So if you would like to learn more information, or if you would like to donate to the JAYC or JC Foundation, you can go to jaycfoundation.org. And that's that. Pretty cool that uh, that's what's come of all of this. Yeah. You know. And she's so. uh, watching some of her interviews and stuff. She is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and it's... her girls are great and lovely and have an awesome mom and now have an awesome extended family. Um, and I remember, I don't have this in my notes, of course, but one of the interviews she had said, um, you know, if her girls ever wanted to go and visit Philip, she wouldn't keep them. She wouldn't keep them from him. So that's part of their journey, which I think is also, mm-hmm. you know, gosh, so mature and like, yeah, stable. Uh, like I could not, <laughs> I would yeah. not like, uh, you have to really remove your experience yeah. from that situation. Right. And, you know, I don't know. And gosh. he, he never hurt the girls at least. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I'm sure that's a, the, the girl's own emotional hmm. journey that they're going to have to deal with eventually as they get older. Yeah. So. Yep. Crazy. Hmm. So that's JC Dugard.
Awesome. And the awful Garitos. Well, I am going to uh, walk us through the case of Ariel Castro today, which you may or may not remember. Um, <laughs> yeah. He is the... Um, he was from Cleveland, Ohio. Bar fun. Place. Um, Ohio, boo. He was... This is like... Ridiculous. Yeah. So Ariel Castro, Ariel mm-hmm. Castro, um, a living. He lives in Cleveland. He mm-hmm. is a bus driver for mm. the, or was a bus driver at the time that all of this was going on, mm-hmm. for the local school district. Okay. Um, which, again, is like terrifying that he had yeah. such access. Anyway, access to children. Yeah. Um, you know his kids were or the his victims weren't actually. Um, young kids, but they were sort of varied, um, you know, they were teenagers usually. Mm-hmm. He was eventually caught and the, the, his victims were found because mm-hmm. one of them actually escaped from the basement and ran to a neighbor for help. Mm-hmm. Um, you go girl. I know, which is <laughs> crazy, right? Um, yeah. but she basically grabs the neighbor and is like, look, I'm Amanda Berry. I've been missing, you know, at this point, they had been in the basement for over a decade. Oh, my God. Um, which is the crazy, I mean, insane. How do you live this lie for this long? I don't know. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, so she escapes from the basement after that many years, gets help mm-hmm. from a neighbor who ends up calling the police, good on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the police show up, find the other two girls that are in the basement. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Knight and Dina J. Gina de Jesus, and of course they were all rescued. Ariel was arrested and taken away. Oh, thank God! So we'll back up a little bit, um, and we can kind of Tarantino this. Yes, a little bit. (laughs) So we're gonna go back and talk about the victims, how how it all sort of happened. So Mm -hmm. Michelle Knight was the very first victim. Um, she was 21 at the time. So again, not mm-hmm. super oh, young, but um, still a bait. I mean, but 21, you're a kid at 21. Well, like you're still a kid. Even more heartbreaking. I think she had a young child at the time. Like uh, she was a young mom. So, oh my God, um, ter- ter- just terrible. That was actually August 23rd of 2002 was the mm-hmm. date that she was abducted and went missing. Um, she was of course taken to, um, Ariel Castro's home he had actually done some work on his home, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in true just fantastic fashion, he remodeled his home so that there was, you know, obviously sections of the home that these girls were captive in. Mm-hmm. They were chained up a lot of the time, um, and things like that. So, you know, a real fun house of yeah, terror. literal house of horrors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Two thousand two, Michelle Knight goes missing. Um, 2003, April 21st of 2003, Amanda Berry, who's 16 at the time, so a little bit younger than Michelle, um, she's kidnapped by Ariel Castro while she's walking home from her job at Burger King, Mm -hmm. um, and again, taken captive and, um, you know, of course, all of the terrible things that he did. Wasn't one of the girls, like, his daughter's friend or something? Was that Amanda Berry? Don't worry. They, they all knew, they all knew him. And were oh. familiar with him because they were friends with his daughters. I it's hate disgusting. Him. I hate him so much. It's yeah. So, um, 
fast forward to April 2nd of 2004 and Gina mm-hmm. de Jesus, who was 14 at the time. So oh. we're getting younger. She was kidnapped um, while she was walking home from middle school. She was taken November of 2004. You know, obviously everyone in the community is looking for these girls. Mm-hmm. You know, Ariel Castro being the, the great member of the community that he is, he attends the vigil for, that they held for Gina de Jesus, mm-hmm. knowing full well That's gross. that she was in his basement. Like, showed up to support the family at the vigil. Dude, the cojones. Yeah. Yep. So one of the things about, um, about Amanda Berry, who was the second um, mm-hmm. victim here that was abducted, she gave birth to a child. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2006, that was fathered by Ariel Castro. So at Ew. this point in 2006, she's still captive. This baby is born. The baby's never seen the light of day. The baby is also mm. captive. And from there, you know, it doesn't really get a ton better for anybody. In 2012, Michelle Knight also delivers a baby in the home <sighs> um, that belongs to Ariel Castro. But that child actually didn't survive. Um Aww. So she lost a child while, Poor babe. while they were there as well. It was actually May 6th of 2013 that Amanda Berry was able to escape. She ran to the neighbor um, who heard her cries for help. His name was Charles mm-hmm. Ramsey. I don't know if you remember seeing it. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure he was on the news. Like It was a mm-hmm. full-on interview. I'm sure you can find the videos out there. Yeah. But if you want to see Charles, he is like everyday hero. <laughs> If it wasn't such an amazing thing, they would have viral auto-tuned him and, like, there would have been, yes. like, a song Yeah, shit. exactly. Oh, my gosh. So, of course, he immediately contacts the police. The police arrive. Mm-hmm. They find the other two girls and they help rescue them as well. Um, Ariel Castro is taken into custody. So, they found the girls on May 6th. They didn't take him into custody until the 8th of May. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was arrested. And then in July of 2013, he pled guilty to... 937 charges, which crap. all were around the kidnapping, um, the rape and sexual assault, the uh, murder, which was related to the death of the infant. Um, and he, gil- he pled guilty to all of that so that he could avoid the death penalty, which... Oh, kill him anyway. Well, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> he was sentenced to life in prison plus mm-hmm. 1,000 years. Without oh. the possibility of parole. So like Well that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think they got it covered there. Um of course by I think it was like the third of September, he had mm-hmm. committed suicide. Yeah, because so, he's a bitch. Yeah. So um so yeah, there's a couple of different things here. So obviously we know um they were held at this house on Seymour Avenue, there is an address. You can look it up if you want to. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Um, right now. The house does not exist. The house yeah. was actually demoed and, like, leveled uh, as part of the, um, like, basically the settlement of the court case. It was part oh. of the court case judgment. Oh, that cool. The house had to be demolished. Nice. So you can, I think you can find the address on Google Maps, but I think that they've actually, like, blurred out the house or the house isn't there. I'm not sure exactly because I didn't look it up. Ariel Castro <laughs> House. Oh, I love this I shit. Can t- it's like, 2207 me... Seymour Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio. 2207 Seymour. Five. Five. One, two. <laughs> Fourth Avenue. 
Okay, there we go. Do, 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 do. Yeah, it is blurred. Yeah. So. Really? Why didn't they blur out Elevator Street in Williamston, Michigan in my first story? <laughs> I, listen, it was part of the, the, um, I got what am I saying? Conviction? Yeah. Oh my God. It's so, it's so Midwest. Like uh, this. it is. It's, it's straight out of Ohio. Like, yeah. It looks, it, I mean, this could be Flint. Yeah. Yep. Wild. So, um, going back to when they were in captivity, of course they were restrained often. They were confined Mm -hmm. to, you know, certain areas of the house Mm -hmm. where he had modified everything to, you know, basically not have an outlook. I don't know. Yeah. I just can't even imagine. No. So Michelle was in captivity the longest, Mm -hmm. um, and she was in there for what, almost 12, almost 12 (sighs) years. Yeah. Which is insane um oh my god 12 years that's so much that's so much your life so yeah the one of the like i don't know the more chilling detail mm-hmm. i think about this case is that um each one of the victims had some tie to ariel castro uh-huh. like they either knew his daughters they were he was familiar from being in the community uh-huh. He was a known bus driver. So like it, it's just so yeah, um, you know. And one of the girls even said, "Like I went to him for help because I knew he was a familiar. Like it was a familiar vehicle. Right? Was a familiar, Ugh, you know, what a tragic misuse of so, power. Ugh, Ugh. Yeah. So he did end up getting, um, you know, obviously arrested. Mm-hmm. He was arrested on May sixth in twenty thirteen after Amanda Berry was able to escape. So, of course, he was, Ariel was actually arrested on May 8th Mm -hmm. um, on a whole slew of criminal charges, obviously, (laughs) as you would obviously Mm -hmm. expect. Um, So kidnapping, rape, child endangerment, and some of the charges were tied to the death of the infant. Yeah. Over, you know. Captivity. While they were in captivity. Thank you. So basically he was charged with a whole slew of charges mm-hmm. and he ended up pleading guilty to 937 criminal oh, counts um, basically to try to ado- avoid the death penalty, right. which he did get sentenced on August 1st mm-hmm. of 2013. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole plus an additional 1,000 years. Oh, I so love that. He... <laughs> a thousand years. Ugh. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure as you can imagine, there's no real end to that tunnel once you get in there. Right. Um, so instead of, you know, dealing with the sentence and living out uh, his life in prison, mm-hmm. he decided to end his own life. Ugh. So he was found dead in his cell on September 3rd. So not too long after he was uh he was sentenced there should be a special jail for awful people where <laughs> it's like um like a russian gulag and it's just like a night like a 1940s gulag where they just get oh like gosh. moldy bread and vile water i just yeah and just like a stone I... cell with a corner to poop in <laughs> like that's where i'm at just some people oh my gosh, man. like every medieval torture 
like stereotypical torture chamber yep. in every movie. Ugh, I mean, <laughs> the rack over. Yeah, start like quartering people, but like don't let him die. Just like severely injure him oh, every day. Goodness. What year did they outlaw torture? I don't know. I don't think that. I don't think we can do no. this. Any of it. Dang it, man! They take all the fun out of. Oh goodness. Gross humans and their deserved punishments. So, you know, obviously it was a, there were multiple victims, right. you know, this impacted a ton of different families. Mm-hmm. It impacted the community in a huge way. Ugh. And, you know, I know you and I both probably remember seeing this on the news yeah. as it was happening. If you haven't seen the YouTube, you can find it on YouTube, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But the video of the, um, the interview with the actual guy who rescued Amanda Berry uh, that's a pretty good one to oh, watch okay. as well. Noted. So. <laughs> Noted. I'll put, I can yeah. link that in the uh, show notes too. Okay, cool. I can find that. All right. Well, thank you so much for telling us about those amazing survivor women and the piece of garbage who took years off their lives. So I actually have two book recommendations this week because Ooh. I couldn't pick, um, so there are two books out there. The first one was written by one of the victims, Michelle Knight. Um, so mm-hmm. this one is called Finding Me, A Decade of Darkness, A Life Reclaimed, A Memoir of the Cleveland Kidnappings by Michelle Knight, which is like the longest title ever. But um, and, and we love you for it, Michelle. Yeah, it's a, it's a memoir. It's about her experience um, going, you know, obviously for the amount of time that she was trapped in this basement. So... Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was also written, it was co-written by Amanda Berry and Gina de Jesus, which were the other two victims, um, okay. in this case. So they wrote their, uh, separate book, but it's called Hope, a Memoir of Survival in Cleveland, uh, by Amanda Berry and Gina de Jesus. Um, if you want the firsthand accounts from the victims in this story, you can read them, read, read both of them actually, so. And actually, it's going to be a threefer of memoirs because I also, my book rec this week is A Stolen Life, a memoir by J.C. Dugard, who, again, uh, shares her life in captivity with Philip Garrido and his crazy-ass wife, Nancy. Love a good memoir. <laughs> oh, I do actually love a good memoir. This one was is hard to read. I had to, like, put it down a few times. Yeah, there's definitely... A lot of detail that's that was hard to read. <laughs> yep. So uh, if you are not a person who deals well with uh, discussions of sexual assault and or rape or kidnapping in captivity, first of all, what are you doing here? But also... Uh, <laughs> no judgment. It's judgment. <laughs> these memoirs are hard to read. Yeah. They, I mean, they're... It's a lot. It's we're seeing people, the worst part mm-hmm. of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Next week's episode will be supported by the letter L. Check us out on social media and give us your best guesses on what our theme for next week will be. If you'd like to hear more from us, please check us out on Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon at True Crime ABC Podcast, or email us your thoughts, ideas, and listener stories to truecrimeabcpodcast at gmail.com. I also want to throw this out there. We, on Instagram, we've been getting, like, interacting a lot with other podcasts, if anybody wants to do a uh, a collaboration episode, we are down to clown. <laughs> I like the way you put that. Mm-hmm. 
so thank you everyone so much for listening. We appreciate you um, a whole ton. Absolutely. Love to hear from you. Many tons. And uh, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks, everybody.